May the words of my mouth and the meditation of our hearts be acceptable to you, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. This morning's gospel presents a particular challenge, especially in the context of our celebration of this Feast of St. Francis. Friends, I have to be honest. I've struggled with it all week long. The lesson simply doesn't seem to capture either the essence of the man or the feast. For example, there's no mention of the absolute poverty embedded in the monastic order Francis founded in the 13th century. Nor is there even a nod to the animals, the creatures great and small that apparently flocked to him wherever he traveled. And finally, to confuse at least this creature even further, the text appears to have two distinct and unrelated themes. Having studied the wisdom literature of the Hebrew scriptures throughout the summer, the women of our parish guild will easily recognize the first three verses of today's gospel as an extension of that tradition. It is the divine mystery of Lady Wisdom that enables Jesus and the Father to be known to each other. And it is this same wisdom, this knowledge of God, that Jesus reveals to us and all who would follow him. However, the concluding three verses seem to be a disconnected invitation. Not to become wise in the ways of God, but rather just to cuddle up with Jesus as we seek comfort for our weary souls. So what are you and I to make of all this? How do these pieces of a complex puzzle fit together? And what, pray tell, does this brief excerpt from Matthew have to do with blessing animals? To be sure, the editors of our lectionary have done us no favors by truncating today's text from its broader context. Previous chapters of Matthew recounted Jesus' ministry in Galilee and his increasing frustration with the local leaders of the many Jewish communities he visited. In fact, the verses immediately preceding our lesson include his particularly strident condemnation of these cities and their political and religious leaders. For failing to embrace the good news of God's kingdom, Jesus announces that their plight will be worse than Sodom's. Not only will the towns be destroyed, they themselves will be sentenced to the Hades eternal pit. But however, despite rejection of Jesus' message by the so-called wise and intelligent, Jesus also rejoices in the faith given to those without influence. Indeed, the wisdom of God hidden from the religious elite is seemingly accessible to those with the least education and the least knowledge, to the powerless who comprised Matthew's Christian community, to those whom Jesus called infants. Okay, now that we've been able to locate today's lesson in its broader context, the first three verses are understandable, and the concluding three are a bit more intelligible. The impediments to a life of true and humble faith. 
imposed by the practices and demands of the Pharisees and scribes are frequent topics in Matthew's Gospel. In the language of the Hebrew scriptures and Jewish tradition, yoke was a metaphor for servitude and obedience. And the phrase, the yoke of the Torah, was regularly used to describe the unyielding and ultimately impossible demands of Jewish law. Yet Jesus describes his yoke as free of the artificial burdens imposed by religious leaders. By comparison, Jesus' yoke is easy, and its burden not only light, but the only way into the heart of God. In this simple invitation, Jesus is bidding us to journey with him, to learn from him, to come to know God through him. Dear friends, despite our progress in resolving this complicated text, one issue remains for us to consider. Why? Seriously, why is this gospel appointed for the Feast of St. Francis? I'm not certain I'm any closer to answering this question than I was when the week began. But a treasured friend recently shared the closing argument of an 1870 case adjudicated by the Missouri Supreme Court that might clear our confusion. The facts of the case are straightforward. A man shot and killed his brother-in-law's dog named Old Drum because he thought he was killing his sheep. The owner denied the claim, sued for the value of the dog, and won. But what's most remarkable is not the verdict, but the closing argument offered by the owner's attorney. Gentlemen of the jury, he intoned, now remember, this is 1870. The best friend a man has in this world may turn against him and become his enemy. His son or daughter that he has reared with loving care may prove ungrateful. Those who are nearest to us, those whom we trust with our happiness and our good name, may become traitors to their faith. The money that a man has he may lose. It flies away from him perhaps when he needs it most. A man's reputation may be sacrificed in a moment of ill-considered action. The people who are prone to fall on their knees to do us honor when success is with us may be the first to throw the stone of malice when failure settles its cloud upon our heads. The one absolutely unselfish friend a man can have in this selfish world, the one that never deserts him, the one that never proves ungrateful or treacherous, is his dog. Gentlemen of the jury, a man's dog stands by him in prosperity and poverty, in health and sickness. He will sleep on the cold ground where the wintry winds blow and snow drives fierce, if only he may be near his master's side. He will kiss the hand that has no food to offer. He will lick the wounds and sores that come in encounter with the roughness of the world. He guards the sleep of his pauper master as if he were a prince. When all other friends desert, he remains. When all riches take wings and reputation falls to pieces, 
He is as constant in his love as the sun in its journey through the heavens. If fortune drives the master forth, an outcast in the world, friendless and homeless, the faithful dog asks no higher privilege than that of accompanying to guard against danger, to fight enemies. And when the last scene of all comes, and death takes the master in his embrace, and his body is laid away in the cold ground, no matter if all other friends pursue their way, there by his graveside will the noble dog be found, his head between his paws, his eyes sad but open in watchfulness, faithful and true even to death. Perhaps it's our dogs and cats and birds and bunnies that daily remind us of the invitation God extends to us, the faithfulness God imparts to us and the God and his love so freely shares with us. Perhaps the innocence of these creatures that welcomes even the least among us. And perhaps it's God made known to us in Jesus that simply says, bless them all.